Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Terra Incognita, the adventure podcast and the Rorima Expedition special features. You know, Rorima is where Arthur Conan Doyle's famous book, The Lost Worlds, is set. And you can totally imagine a dinosaur appearing. A remote location expedition is an exceptionally complex thing to organise and run. The prow is, like, the feature of the wall. Just like Only 3% of the Earth's surface is covered in rainforest. Uh, it's one of those trips that doesn't doesn't kind of seem real. I've never done a big wall before and I've always kind of wanted to, but it's like finding a decent partner or team. In conversation, I only catch about half the words. <laughs> I'm not sure if I understand the Guyanese or the British better. <laughs> I've just been worrying about the snakes and the anacondas and the river crossings. And... I'm kind of looking forward to it being hard in a way, just like a bit of an endurance test and see how I do. There are so few areas in the world like this forest that we're going into. Like my whole life in a way has been moving towards being able to do expeditions such as these. Hello ladies and gents and welcome to Georgetown. Uh, We've been here for a few days now um, packing, prepping and faffing to get ready to launch the expedition uh, tomorrow morning. Um, As I've said, I'm recording this from Georgetown. Uh, It's incredibly noisy outside, hustle and bustle uh, of the streets and the car horns. There's a gym upstairs in the hotel that we're staying in and it's pretty wild. Um, I've travelled the world, been lucky to see all sorts of places, but this place really is, um, it feels like a kind of frontier town. Uh, The people are amazing, the food's incredible, but it's certainly a culture shock if you're not used to it. So um, this, I guess, is your formal introduction to the expedition and what we're doing. I'm out here with Leo Holding and a few others, and um, I'll introduce you to those guys in a minute. But essentially, the expedition is an attempt to make a first ascent um, on the prow of Mount Roraima in Guyana. It's an incredibly proud objective, a sensational mountain in a wonderful place, um, absolutely stunning big orange rock jutting out of the rainforest, um, often surrounded by cloud and mist. And it was the inspiration for, um, well, the setting rather, for Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. It really is quite something. And um, we're hoping to bring you um, in the field photography, a little bit of video if possible. Um, That's a real unknown at the minute and definitely podcasts from the field. Uh, The expedition itself involves some incredibly complicated logistics. I'll leave Leo to explain it in more detail, but essentially the overview is we throw all of our equipment out of a plane to land at the bottom of the wall. We fly to this little frontier town called Philippi, um, which is in the middle of nowhere. And then we walk for probably two weeks, uh, 50 miles through the jungle, carrying enough to get us to the base of the wall. 
where we'll then um, begin on the wall proper and attempt to make a first free ascent of a route there before getting helicoptered off the top and returning home. So, the team. We've got Leo Holding, who many of you will be familiar with, um, but for those who aren't, he's a world-class adventurer, climber, and explorer type. And he's been doing this for a really, really long time. Um, made a name for himself as a young man climbing in the Lake District, spent a long time in Yosemite doing all sorts of incredible things. And he really is at the forefront of adventurous big wall climbing in incredibly hard to reach places. As you'll hear, um, it's really obvious that he knows exactly what he's doing. He has this meticulous, you know, 100% approach to absolutely everything we've been doing on the trip. And um, as Waldo and I have been discussing, we don't actually see him switch off at all. Um, I'm hoping that that'll change for his sake when we get to Philippi and he can actually start enjoying it a little bit. But we talk about that in this first episode. Uh, then we've got Waldo Etherington, who we featured in episode two of the podcast. Waldo is a tree fanatic. Uh, it's very obvious he speaks so passionately and eloquently about trees and jungles, rainforests, and traveling through them and the people that inhabit them. Um, it's a really infectious enthusiasm that's definitely rubbing off on the rest of us. And the jungle's a bit of an unknown for lots of the team. Leo's done a few months, but Waldo's spent years and years living in these places, traveling in them. Um, and it's very, very obvious that he's going to be kind of taking charge of making sure that everything goes safely and as comfortably as it can, which probably won't be all that comfortably. Then there's Anna Taylor, a 21-year-old climber from the Lake District. The furthest she's ever travelled is Germany, um, so this is going to be a real experience for her. She's never climbed a big wall, she's never been on an expedition, but um, again, as the guys will explain later, she's got this incredible attitude and it's going to be amazing to follow her journey over the next five weeks and see how she finds the experience. And then, last but not least, we've got Wilson Cutberth, who's an American climber based in Arizona, Um, incredibly strong climber. Um, He has this kind of, (laughs) he might be disappointed with me saying this, but he has this strong kind of British track climbing ethic. Uh, He doesn't want to clip bolts unless he has to. He doesn't want to place bolts unless he has to. And he seems to really thrive and excel at ground up on site, you know, chossy climbing at an elite level. So it's going to be incredible to see how he comes into his own when we hit the wall. And as we go through this process, I'm hoping to be able to bring you one of these every three to five days. Um, I I don't want to be held to that. We'll see how it goes. Recording these in the field and sending stuff back is actually incredibly complicated and time-consuming and difficult because everything we take into this jungle tech-wise is probably going to get wet and break. But Dan, Howard, the other cameraman and I are going to do everything we can to keep it all safe and sound so we can bring you this content. And as we do, there's going to be an opportunity to win a load of amazing products that Berghaus have kindly donated. Um, I'm not going to talk much more about that yet, but over the course of the trip, um, you'll be able to check in and enter to win jackets and all sorts of stuff. So for now, I'll leave it there and let's start with Leo. Right, where are we at? We are in Georgetown on the second day after leaving the UK. And tomorrow is D-Day. We are about to fly into the interior on a direct sky truck flight. A sky truck is like a transit van with wings with a tailgate, a boot that opens. It's about a two hour flight straight to Mount Roraima. And then we are going to throw out 500 kilos of equipment in four parachute loads into the forest below the mountain and then go and land at the closest airstrip in a small Amerindian community called Philippi. And how are you feeling about it all? 
I'm pretty confident at the moment. Things are looking good. It's been a long road to get to this point, particularly for me, just amassing all the kit. There's some pretty specialist stuff in amongst that 500 kilos. It's all been very considered uh, and deemed essential. And all the food, obviously, as well. Uh, we met with the pilots last night. We had a good vibe from them and vice versa. We checked everything. Uh, it's not as simple as it sounds, throwing stuff out of a plane with a parachute. It sounds so easy, right? Oh, yeah, we'll just airdrop it in. It's not. Um, there's lots of variables and complications and how many loads are you going to do? How, what size parachutes are you going to use? How are you going to find the stuff? How are you going to get it out of the aircraft? How, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I've given it a lot of thought and I've got some good advice uh, from people who know their stuff, including the... I did a day's training with the RAF and I'm pretty confident with the system we've developed as were our bush pilot friends because obviously we can't do anything without their green light there's still I'm still a bit nervous obviously like these parachutes we've got are a friend of mine Pete Swan who's a very experienced parachute rigger has made them for us but we're pushing them to the max max load he said don't put more than 105 kilos on We've got 120, but I asked him, I was like, dude, 105 is, if you were a person, we can come in a bit hotter than that, because it's not a person, it's not, you know, the whole bag's not gonna break its legs. But if you overload too much, then you have issues with opening shop and the parachute pressurizes and you can rip the parachute to pieces. So I'm a bit nervous. There's also, it's, they're an unusual parachute system, it's called a jungle line, uh, based off the British military system that they use for dropping stuff into jungles which basically means the load, in this case two haul bags, hangs about 50 metres below the parachute. Normally it would hang right under the parachute. The idea being that if it lands in the trees, the load penetrates through the canopy and lands on the floor, and then the parachute gets stuck in the trees, which is much easier to retrieve when it doesn't have 100 kilos hanging on it. But that's a slightly unusual system. The parachute rigger, Pete, has never made one of those before. Uh, and it just adds another link in the chain, basically, which I'm a bit worried about. Um, the pilot is really cool. Apparently, he's pretty much the most experienced and senior bush pilot in the whole of Guyana, which is good. You don't really want a young jock for this kind of stuff. You want someone who's solid and um, reliable and safe. He's never done this before. Uh, he's thrown skydivers out of his aircraft, but never cargo drop. But he's totally happy with what we're doing, and he's on board. You know, essentially a bush pilot isn't quite as glam as it sounds. A lot of the time, the glorified bus service flying around, take off and landing is the only fun part. Now and again, they get to do some exciting stuff. And flying loops around one of the most beautiful places in the world, one of the most iconic places in Guyana, throwing parachutes out with a bunch of crazy gringo explorer types is pretty cool. And thankfully, they see it like that. So yeah, uh, it's going to be a weight off my mind when I see those parachutes pressurize and disappear into the jungle. Hopefully we'll get them in a fairly tight distribution pattern so they're not too hard to find. And then when we land in Philippi, I'm going to breathe a big sigh of relief because then the prep is over. We've still got a few hours more things to sort out. I've been prepping, I've been prepping in earnest for like two months nonstop uh, and for several months before that with bits and pieces. And then finally, doosh, the prep is over and the real journey begins. And what will happen to your headspace the second we land in Philippi? From my perspective, it's 
really nice when you actually start because so much of what I've been doing to this stage is hypothetical. You've just got to think what if. You've got to think through every possible scenario that can occur and have a strategy to deal with it, which means having the right equipment and the right skills and the right contacts. Um, and, it, and it's a head wrecker, you know, because there's just so many potential scenarios that can unfold on a trip like this. Once you actually start, that's it. You've got what you've got, you have the knowledge and skills that you have, and you've got the crew that are with you, and you have to find a solution to all the problems that you face. It's no longer hypothetical, it's hands-on, it's tactile, it's, it's real problem-solving situation. And in some ways that's a lot easier because it's like, there's, this is what we've got. If we, we can't get something else, we can't get another Amazon Prime delivery for the morning, it's, you've just got to work around it. Uh, and that's quite liberating because you just get on with it. And also, you know, we start the expedition, we're walking into the forest, we're going into a primeval landscape which is unchanged for millennia and it's a real privilege. I mean, ultimately the whole point of all this faffing is so that we can go and experience this wonderful landscape. We could have helicoptered in, it would have cost more, um, but that's not why we didn't do it. The reason that I didn't want a helicopter in is because there are so few areas in the world like this forest that we're going into. Guyana's a special country, 80% of its forest, it hasn't savaged it like most of the world. There's still thousands of square kilometers of pristine rainforest, primary growth, it's never been logged. Um, and to spend you know, more than a week hiking through that terrain is basically what, why we're here. Um, and sometimes for me, I can get lost in the details and forget to just take a step back and be like, oh, wow, listen to those cicadas you know look at that hummingbird so I'm quite looking forward to that and also we're going to be pretty easy on the pace uh, we've got a fairly inexperienced team on some fronts and one of the things I've learned is you know it's a marathon not a sprint pace yourself and enjoy it enjoy it um, so we're not I, want, I don't want to carry ball busting loads no more than 20 kilos and in the jungle you stop early anyway we've got 12 hours of daylight so you get up with the sun, you stop probably 3 p.m. Um, so you've got casual time to clear an area to make your hammock camp and cook in the daylight. We don't really want to do anything at night unless we have to. It's not that safe to travel at night. Um, we need to stick together. We don't want to get lost. But basically everything is looking really sweet right now. Uh, we need some good weather for this airdrop tomorrow. That's absolutely critical. If it's cloudy, that's really going to knock all our plans. Um, but we're not in control of that. A everything else, there's no point in stressing about the stuff you can't control. You've just got to put yourself in the best position you can be, which we basically are. And how are you feeling about the team? I'm very pleased with the team that we've got here. Uh, Waldo and I have done quite a lot together over the last five years and without wanting to sound too kind of military about it, essentially on a trip like this, there's no way you can do it without a pretty clear leader. Someone has to be in charge and it just wouldn't happen. The logistics of the operation, let alone the financing and all the background stuff. So I'm very much in charge. Waldo is a fantastic lieutenant. I trust his opinion on virtually everything. We have slightly different takes on things, particularly when it comes to how safe and thick rope needs to be. And Waldo's like ultra safety conscious. I'm probably 
I wouldn't say I'm unsafe, but I'm definitely at the limits of what you would call safe. Uh, so we have a good dialogue on that. So he's a great, like, first lieutenant. Wilson, uh, our American friend, is solid. Um, he's not very experienced on this type of expedition, no experience in the jungle, but he's just a super solid character. He's done a lot. Um, he has a valid opinion, certainly when it comes to the climbing. He's probably the strongest climber on the team right now, almost certainly. Um, he climbs four or five times a week. He lives in Arizona where it's 350, or certainly 300 days a year of sunshine. Um, so I, I couldn't think of a better. He's got the right attitude. We've had one, it's a minor oversight, but there's a pair of jungle boots missing. I don't know where they've gone. They're his. Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't need jungle boots for this. We've got other footwear. It's obviously not optimum. He's not bothered at all, which is good. You know, if he was stressing about it, I'm stressed about it more than he is. Um, so he's solid. Then Anna, who is obviously very green on this team, she's 10 years younger than the rest of us. Uh, she's never been on a big expedition before. She's never been on a big wall before. Uh, she's actually not traveled very much. Um, but none of that really matters. What is important is, A, she's a really good climber. She's done more than a dozen E7s and E8s in the UK this summer, which is pretty much more than the rest of us combined. And she's got the right attitude, which is absolutely key. I'm a pretty good judge of character, and when I first met her about a year ago, I kind of had in mind this trip. And, uh, and then when we talked about it, I could just see her face light up when I described all the hazards and hardships we're going to be facing. And that's like an atypical response. Most people, when you say we're going to be in the jungle for a month, it's going to be muddy, it's going to be wet, there's going to be spiders and snakes and scorpions and clouds of mosquitoes, you're going to get eaten, you're going to have a hard time. And I certainly didn't dress it up for it. If anything, I like made it sound really bad. Uh, and then when I asked her at the end of that if she'd be interested in joining the team, I literally saw her eyes twinkle and her face light up, which is exactly how I would react and how everybody else on the team would react. But that's how... That's not how 90%, probably 99% of the world's population would respond. It's that adventurous instinct, that kind of desire to go out and do something pretty epic. And so far, three days in, she has quite a lot on her plate because we've all done a lot of trips and she hasn't. So it's quite hard for her and I'm very conscious of the fact that she's learning loads and it's tiring and stressful learning stuff. But she's lapping it up. Uh, she doesn't seem to... You've got to be careful not to be patronising when you're constantly telling someone what to do. Um, but I think so far, so good. She's learning loads of stuff. Right now, she's tying slings for us. She, never knows. she didn't know how to tie a tape knot. She didn't know how to cut and seal webbing. Pretty simple stuff. Gave her a briefing. She's just done 20 slings for us. It's, I'm really happy with the, with the team that we've got from the climbing front. And then behind camera, Matt Pycroft we've done quite a bit of stuff together now it, he's super solid and it's so nice for me just to be able to hand off one large element of the expedition in fact it's almost 50% um, which is you know we've got two objectives here one is to complete this expedition free climb this mountain have no accidents and have a good time two and it's second only to safety it's just as important as the climbing is to document it to the a very high standard in, in both photography, film, and audio. And Matt, I can trust 
to take care of all that. That means all the camera kit, all the battery charging, keeping lenses clean, keeping data backed up. That's a huge responsibility and it's a huge weight off my mind just to be able to fully delegate all of that. So for two days, we've been here faffing and Matt and his deputy, Dan, have just been faffing the camera kit. So I'm completely out of the loop on that. I mean, I've got an oversight on it, but I'm happy with that because it's a weight off my mind. And then Dan Howard, who I haven't done that much with, um, but Matt and he have worked together loads. They've got a great working relationship. Matt's definitely director in charge and Dan's second. And that it works really well, that kind of A-B role. Um, no, not competition, but plenty of mutual respect, someone whose opinion you trust, someone who you can, if you ask them to do something, you know they'll do it as well as you would. But at the same time, someone has to be in charge. You can't have two chiefs making calls on shots and all the rest of it. So it's looking extremely positive and we're all having a great time. You know, it, 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 there's so much going on and it is quite stressful, but we're having a laugh. And ultimately, yeah, I'm a professional climber, explorer, whatever, but I'm not doing this for professional reasons. I'm here because I like going into these wild places wild people and doing wild stuff and that's the primary motivation and key to that is, is having a good time and key to that is having a good crew yeah I was just about to ask you as a last question what you're most looking forward to because I've spent the last few days watching you just focus on one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing but I suppose you've just answered it I guess that's it right we're here to have a laugh in an amazing place we're here to push ourselves into places where very few people go we're here to punish ourselves, but in a very sort of positive self-flagellation way. You know, you get out what you put in, and if you don't push yourself extremely hard and face a bit of discomfort, A, you'll never fulfill your potential, and B, you don't appreciate the creature comforts of normal life. I guarantee you, in a month's time, we're going to appreciate this air conditioning, that bed, that shower, a damn sight more than we did this morning. Uh, but that's not the whole truth. You know, the other thing is there's very much two elements to what we're about to do. There's the jungle section and there's the wall section. And the jungle is a special place. And it's not somewhere that my life has given me a huge amount of time to hang out in. I mean, I've done more than most. I've spent quite a few months hanging out in the jungle. But usually I'm in the mountains or I'm in polar regions or I'm in kind of temperate climates. And jungles are really special, you know, only 3% of the Earth's surface is covered in rainforest and it's home to 50% of the world's species. That says a lot. It's alive on every level from, yeah, we all know about the big creatures out here. That's probably jaguars, uh, giant anteaters, anacondas, the largest snakes in the world are in this forest. The Ferdinand's Bushmaster, the most venomous snake in South America. Um, but, you know, really it's the insects that you, you see and you hear. It's, it's like noisy at night in the jungle and then flowers incredibly delicate beautiful things out in this landscape huge trees little trees the lichens the the ants the the mosses the bromeliads life on life on life you know it, it's just stacked up um you know Rarima is where Arthur Conan Doyle's famous book The Lost Worlds is set and you can totally imagine a dinosaur <laughs> appearing in this landscape and when dinosaurs ruled the world that's what it looked like. And then we've got the wall, which is there's a huge amount of effort and logistics going into getting us into a position 
where it's back to the old school and we're actually doing some pretty serious rock climbing. We're going to push a new route up a 600 meter overhanging wall. That's a big challenge. That's a big challenge at a roadside. Um, but what I'm trying to do here is to make everything as comfortable as possible so that when we're in that position, we can actually perform and we can get down to some proper hard climbing, exploratory new routing on a big scale. Uh, it's extremely complex, getting all the stuff into position, having the water there. But I like this stuff. I like it. It's a bit like a giant 3D jigsaw puzzle where you're getting, you know, whilst you're on a treadmill, pumping weights and being eaten by mosquitoes. And it's... Uh... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's what makes life worth living. Ace, the next time we sit down and do this, we'll have spent a few days in the jungle. So I guess we hope the airdrop goes well and take it from there. Come on! Right, and on to Waldo. How have the last few days been? How have the last few days been? Uh... Good, incredible, exciting, um, surprisingly fun considering we've mainly just been faffing, <laughs> which has consisted of moving stuff from bag to a different bag into a different bag and then weighing it and then moving it into a different bag. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going really well. Um, I think to Leo's exceptionally high standard, he's still not 100% with where we're at in terms of uh, how ship shape you are with all the loads and, and, and all the plan. but. In my opinion, I think we're looking really good. Um, we're in a really, really good position. Everything is exceptionally well sorted and organised and weighed. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm starting to relax a bit now with, uh, with the plan ahead. <laughs> and why does it matter that it's... Um, it matters because a remote location is an exceptionally complex... A remote location expedition is an exceptionally complex thing to organise and run let alone a remote location big wall climbing expedition <laughs> and the filming part of it as well so we've got six people on the trip um, plus a load of local Amerindian guides and porters plus aeroplanes and parachute drops and bag weights um, and we need very specific tools and equipment for each set of each part of the expedition um, and if we don't have it the expedition might fail <laughs> um, so it's absolutely vitally important that we've got exactly what we need, where we need it, when we need it, um, and that we're in good shape as a team. And how are you feeling about tomorrow? Um, I'm feeling all tingly and excited about tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely wild. Um, I think part of what sets this expedition aside, um, not just the wild location and the objective, but the manner in which we're doing it, we're not just getting a helicopter to the base of the wall with all the equipment and starting a climb. Um, we're airdropping all our loads in out of a sky truck and then landing at a remote landing strip and hiking in through the rainforest. Um, and for me, 
the last few days I've been really kind of focused and getting psyched about the walk and the time spent in the rainforest approaching the wall. For me, that's going to be a really special part of the expedition. Um, it's nice to have an excuse to spend this many days in a rainforest with local Amerindian guides that really know what they're doing um, and just an awesome elite team of people that all have good energy and a, and a sight on the trip. Um, so I've just been been really looking forward to that and getting steadily more excited. Uh, it's one of those trips that doesn't doesn't kind of seem real. <laughs> you know, it's starting to feel more real now that we're in country, the bags are packed, we've met the pilots, we've seen the aircraft um, and we're looking good. But uh, yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it didn't feel real for me until mm -hmm. we were testing the bags at the airport yesterday yeah. and getting it ready and now it feels pretty real. Yeah, too right. Um, what are you most looking forward to? What am I most looking forward to? That's a difficult question. I've been looking forward to all of it for so long and now I feel like I'm about to burst. But uh, I think time in the forest, as I said, is just, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. Um, and also it's one of those forests where there's actually a lot going on in it. You can survive from the forest. There's many forests around the world where it's surprisingly difficult to find food and to find things to survive on. And uh, they're incredibly diverse, but actually for sustenance for a human, like you can't get a lot out of it. Whereas in Guyana, these rainforests are really rich and there's the local knowledge that has been built up over thousands of years, evolved over thousands of years. Um, so the locals know which plants you can eat, which animals you can eat, like all the little tricks and secrets of the forest. Um, and that's really, I find that really exciting, like really cool being able to find the cut crit grub and smash that apart and or the cook crit seed and smash that apart and find the grub inside and, uh, and the palm hearts. And yeah, it's just an incredibly rich forest in, in, that, in that way. So um, I think I'm most looking forward just to getting proper jungled and trekking through the forest. Um, but having stood on the top of Mount Roraima before, I'm also really looking forward to getting higher on the wall and seeing the views and looking out across Waiasapu and the rest of the rainforest. I think it's going to be an incredibly special place to be. And for those of us that haven't been or haven't spent time in the jungle, what can we expect? <laughs> what can you expect? Sweat, mud, rain, uh, spiky plants, ants, <laughs> hopefully no snakes. Um, it's a proper jungle. It's incredibly verdant and wet and tropical and humid. And, uh, and the vegetation does, it changes as you get to different areas of the forest. And um, but yeah, I think you can expect uh, a lot of walking. <laughs> a lot of bag faffing and uh and yeah um what can you expect in a rainforest leaves <laughs> leaves trees mud and insects yeah. so why do it like what it doesn't sound great you know mm. uh i don't know i debate that like a lot of people kind of you know why would you do that it just sounds like horrendous kind of living conditions and environment but actually it's really really pleasant place to be in once you get fully saturated and covered in mud and you can't get any more filthy and wet than you already are you just kind of fall into the forest and become part of it in a way and uh and reaching that point of just jungle saturation is just wildly fun and, and brilliant and uh you know insect bites aside and long walks aside i mean i quite like the long walks insect bites aside it's it's all pleasant for me like i love it and you're chief in charge of safety and jungle survival and things like that. Yeah. What are you most worried about? Um, things I'm most worried about. Firstly, blades, cutting, machetes, um, 
funnily enough, that's probably the biggest danger of the whole trip is people swinging machetes around and cutting things. Um, next, I'm really concerned about slips and trips and people spraining ankles and um, just partly because of how remote we're going to be. Like a badly sprained ankle is going to be a pretty big issue um, if someone's immobilized um, and that's going to really slow the expedition down, if not put it to a, a grinding, grinding halt. Um, so I think those are the, my two biggest concerns. Um, and then also it's a, it's a remoter chance, but snake bites are obviously a massive, massive issue. Um, and it's no easy thing to evacuate people from a remote part of the forest like that. Um, so just keeping track along the whole expedition of, of the kind of rescue plan and how we're gonna get people out um, and just keeping on top of that. Um, and that's probably my three, three biggest concerns really, yeah. What does Medivac evolve, uh, involve, sorry? Medivac involves firstly stabilizing the casualty depending on the injury so getting that person comfortable and, and safe uh, meanwhile calling an emergency helicopter to come and rescue us um, so luckily we've got 24 7 standby search and rescue helicopters on call and they're based in ogle in georgetown um, they've got a very quick turnaround so we should be looking at a helicopter being able to reach us in three hours or less uh, which is actually considering where we are incredibly quick um, so it involves putting all those logistics into place, so calling the helicopter, um, and then clearing a helicopter landing zone, packaging a casualty and getting them into a helicopter and then to the correct site of medical attention. Um, when you say clearing a landing zone? Yeah, so the helicopter unfortunately isn't fitted with a winch um, or any class D lift capabilities. Um, so the helicopter is gonna have to touch down at least a skid so that we can physically carry a casualty into the chopper itself. Um, the forest has various degrees of density depending on where you are. Um, if we're surrounded by massive trees, it's gonna be impossible to clear a helicopter landing site. Um, so we're gonna have to sort of GPS point locations along the walk that we know that we can head back to um, if we need to evacuate a casualty and, and have a helicopter touchdown. Um, but usually in the sort of less dense areas of forest, you can find an area with smaller trees, less vegetation, maybe at the site of a fallen tree or near a river um, where you can get the span of the rotor of the chopper down through the canopy um, so we can actually physically load a casualty into it. Um, so it'll be all, all systems go if that happens, but hopefully it's something we're not going to have to deal with. Um, yeah, it's quite it's quite intense whenever you've got helicopters and, and hurt people. So I'm hoping we're going to avoid that, obviously. Yeah, here's hoping. Mm. Cool. And uh, anything you want to add before we fly in and chuck everything out of the plane? Um, can I swear? You can <laughs> I'm swear. so excited. Fucking yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just it's going to be a wild adventure and I'm really looking forward to it and I'm just absolutely stoked to be so part of, of, of this team. It's wicked. It's an awesome, awesome group of individuals and uh, and I'm, I'm really happy. I've got a cheeky last question because yeah. obviously I interviewed you for, it was one of the first ever episodes we did for this podcast. Oh yeah, your adventure podcast you told me no one's going to listen to. <laughs> Everyone I've met for the last year is like, oh, I've heard your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right now. It's good. Um, well done. It's doing really well. Thanks, man. So it's nice as well. You got a weird talent for just getting under people's skin. <laughs> um, so what does that like loads my question and makes me feel guilty already? What does six-year-old you think about the fact you're about to go and do this? Um, six-year-old me would probably not be feeling too dissimilar to how I'm feeling right now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and uh, 
I think if you told six-year-old me that I would be doing this stuff in the future, um, maybe maybe you would have been unsurprised, um, or maybe you would have been in total disbelief. I don't know, but either way, it's, it's everything I've always wanted to do. It kind of ticks all the boxes, and um, it's such a wild adventure, and I feel like my whole life, in a way, has been moving towards being able to do expeditions such as these, and, and to be able to do it, and to be on it right now is just, yeah, the best possible feeling. Ace, thanks, man. You're welcome. And now, here's Anna. So, how did you wind up sat in a hotel in Georgetown about to dive into the jungle? So, about nearly a year ago, I guess now, um, Leo basically messaged me out of the blue. I'd never actually met him properly before or anything like that. And uh, introduced himself and sort of proposed the idea that I should come on a trip with him and some of the guys from Berghouse uh, to South America. So I kind of met up with him a few weeks after that and we talked about it a bit more. And he said that it probably wouldn't actually happen. So I just agreed. Um, and now, yeah, several months later, we're here. <laughs> and comparing how you felt when you left home in the Lake District to how you feel now, what's changed and what have you seen and experienced? Um, I think that like leaving home wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I think now that we're a few days in, it's kind of like um, I'm getting slightly more used to it. But I've never been to um, like the furthest I've ever gone holiday is Germany. So coming all the way over to South America, it's such a different place and different culture and stuff that you've kind of I've seen on TV, but I've never actually experienced before. So it's all a bit surreal, really. <laughs> yeah. And how are you feeling about tomorrow? Excited. I kind of can't wait to get into the proper side of the expedition because at the moment it's all packing stuff and the guys having to do things that I have no idea what they're actually doing so I'm not really much help <laughs> so I'm looking forward to yeah checking the stuff out the plane and going climbing Ace and before we go climbing how mm. are you feeling about the jungle I'm actually looking forward to it I think I mean I know it's gonna everyone I've spoken to about jungles apart from Aldo says they're really hard but kind of amazing to be in um, so yeah I'm looking forward to experiencing that and I'm kind of looking forward to it being hard in a way, just like a bit of an endurance test and see how I do. Um, yeah. And how are you finding, you know, climbing, obviously it's a social sport and there's usually somebody else with you, but mm. in terms of like expedition team, how are you finding the dynamic and fitting into it? you know, a team that you've been sort of thrown into? <laughs> yeah, it's a, again, it's like a totally new experience for me. And um, I guess because... I mean, three things really. I'm way younger than everyone else. I'm the only girl, and I'm the only person that has zero experience of any of this. Um, so it's it's all a bit new. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's super nice, and I get on with everyone really well. So um, I'm sure I'll be able to put it with you all for a month. It's <laughs> hoping, yeah. You don't really have much choice tomorrow morning. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, what the hell is going on up there? Do you not know? There's actually a gym upstairs. Is there? Yeah, oh, right, somebody's okay. throwing weights around. <laughs> um, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I think just being on the wall, because I've never done a big wall before, and I've always kind of wanted to, but it's like finding a decent partner or team um, that have the experience, because I don't. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to like being thousands of feet up in the middle of a jungle. And yeah, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and what are you most worried about? Uh, probably the snakes. And 
scorpions and all that stuff. I mean, it's going to be like coming from the UK, you're just not used to having to watch out for things like that and be on your guard for animals that could actually kill you or seriously hurt you. Um, so it's going to be weird getting used to that. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the one thing I'm most worried about. Cool. And then what's left for the rest of the day? Um, I think we're packing and then we're going to go to the airport and Leo's going to talk to some people about planes and I'm going to have no idea what they're talking about. But <laughs> I think that's what we're doing. Sweet. It's a proper baptism of fire, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, completely. I kind of like it though, because like, nothing's going to feel bad after this. <laughs> cool, thanks very much. No problem. And finally, let me introduce you to Wilson. Cool, so, tell me what you're looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to just experiencing the uh, jungle lifestyle, and I'll be absolutely, totally out of my comfort zone. And yeah, I'm a little worried about the snakes and the creepy crawlies and the just all the little animals in the jungle. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Cool. And can you tell us about your climbing experience and why you're here, basically? Um, most of my climbing experience is in the desert, um, like American sandstone, southwest sandstone. And. I've got a lot of experience putting up routes, ground up style, and just a lot of chossy rock and just kind of dirty, nasty desert stuff. Um, but obviously a lot drier than this will be. But um, yeah, it's basically the same thing, but with trees and spiders and snakes, right? Yeah, a lot more things that want to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and can you tell us about how the process went from like, you know? the moment Leo got in touch or while they got in touch to you being here now? Um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty simple actually because like, I've worked with Leo and Waldo quite a bit now. So it was basically just like, I don't even know if he asked me. He kind of just told me we were going to Mount Roraima in Guyana. And it was pretty much just clockwork from there. You just said yes, straight out, easy, done. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I actually don't think I said yes. I think I, it was just, like, expected, and, like, we were on it. <laughs> and when you think about the trip as a whole and, like, the next four weeks, what is it that you're most worried about? Um, it's, it's funny, I haven't actually really thought about the rock climbing much. I've more thought about just getting there, um... Cause yeah, I've never walked through the jungle like this. So, and at points I've worried about that because I'm like, whoa, holy shit! I haven't even thought about this like big wall we're about to go climb. I've just been worrying about the snakes and the anacondas and the river crossings and all of that part of it. It seems to be a recurring theme. People are saying <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying to Dan, I think. I haven't even thought about the wall yet. <laughs> we're just, I suppose it's because it's what we know, right? Yeah, totally. It's what we're used to. But what what are you expecting on the wall? You know, in your role, you're like, you know, lead climber. Leo's kind of expecting you to just bust it upwards and on yeah. side, free climb. Yeah, um, I'm expecting it to be steep, but hopefully more gear placements than bolts. Um, done quite a bit of research and just studied videos of and old videos and new videos of people climbing um in similar quartzite and 
in this region and um hopefully the ground up style will be pretty easy there'll be a lot of features for us to hook on and place cams in and maybe less bolting that's quite interesting can you tell me specifically like why when you're watching those videos what are you looking for um looking for like horizontal features um there's and like flake systems things of that would nothing gets you close enough to really see a whole crack system but you can kind of look for what would usually present a crack system like flake features or um, a lot of horizontals or even just something that would suggest that there's horizontal edges to grab onto or put a hook on or stuff like that yeah okay and how important is root selection on something like this? Oh, it's crucial. It, it could be the deciding factor of whether you make it to the top or not, and you decide before you even get on the route. Um, and how are you going to make that decision? Um, well, experience, which luckily we have Leo, who is incredibly exper experienced in this. So, um, yeah, you, you look at the wall and just try to pick out systems that make it from bottom to top and hope you can connect the dots um, and then you also you know you want it to be rad you want it to be badass so you're like that section of wall really inspires me I really want to be on that point and yeah when you look at the photos does something just pop um, I mean the prow is like the feature of the wall just like center of the photos like it comes at you and that's like the obvious feature that attracts you yeah and then last question curveball how is it being the only american in a group of brits uh <laughs> it's hard it's like in conversation i only catch about half the words <laughs> is that true <laughs> and it's I mean, it's the same language but not like <laughs> it's very that's amazing oh uh, do we need to slow it down for you? No, I'll keep it. I'll catch up. I think I'm getting better at it. Um, I'm not sure if I understand the Guyanese or the British better. That's so good. We need to stop saying arse. Start saying <laughs> rad and dope a bit more. Exactly. Cool. Thanks, man. Sweet. Thanks for listening. Now, as is blindingly obvious, we're all super excited and this is obviously going to be ace. Uh, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be strenuous, we've got a lot to do, but um, we're all incredibly excited and in, let me check my watch, one hour, 20 minutes, we're heading off to the airport to do the final pack and prep the parachutes and basically push everything across the line before we fly in early tomorrow morning. So the next time you hear from me, we'll have done all of that, we'll have thrown things out of the plane, we'll have headed to Philippi. We'll have met the porters, loaded everything up, and we'll be in the jungle recording the next feature. So to keep up to speed, um, it's best to follow Leo, Berghaus, and myself on Instagram. Um, the handles are pretty obvious and fairly easy to find. As I said at the start, we're going to be sending stuff back live from the field that's going to be put on our social channels, so you will be able to keep up with the expedition there. And obviously, to stay up to date with the podcast in general, um, head to theadventurepodcast.co.uk, but also find us on Instagram uh, at theadventurepodcast, nice and easy. As well as these main features, we're actually doing a special behind-the-scenes series um, with Dan and myself on Patreon. And 
that essentially is a series of dispatches that look at what it takes to essentially bring you all of this stuff. You know, Dan and I are traveling with the guys. We're experiencing the same things as them. And alongside that, with their support, we're filming, photographing and recording everything. And as I said, those are exclusive to our Patreon supporters. We set the Patreon site up recently. And essentially, it's an opportunity for you guys to throw a few dollars our way. The payments are made in dollars because it's an American company. I know it puts some people off, but it's all really secure and safe and stable. I actually subscribe to a few uh, Patreon sites myself uh, as a donor. It's a really safe platform that's used around the world. It's a massive institution. And it's really not that much money. To subscribe to the podcast and get all of these extra dispatches and special content is $6 a month. So if you're interested, head to patreon.com slash the adventure podcast where you can jump on board. And the tiers um, go all the way from uh, $3, which is a buy us a cup of coffee donation, all the way through to $120, where you can get some top tier rewards and be a part of the decision making team that drive the podcast forward. So as I say, next time you hear from us, we'll be deep in the jungle. So wish us luck and over and out for now. Mm -hmm.